From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Well, yes, thank you very much, Mr. Rob Roop. It's me, Mike. Mike Davidson lives. Thanks for downloading this podcast, hanging out with me for about half an hour as I chat it up and uh, riff, rant, whatever comes to mind here. Again, thank you very much for listening. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty big week in this household. The Bubby, Logan, my son, he turned two years old yesterday. Very cool stuff. Uh, you know, he got the cake, he got the ice cream. Uh, he's got some pretty cool toys. He got like a little miniature ball and bat, and hopefully uh, I can get out in the backyard with him and you know, teach him how to use that here this weekend. He's also got a water table, a light-up microphone, some uh, superhero action figures, and a water table. This thing, you know, you just you put a bunch of water in it and he splashes around and it's supposed to be fun. And rumor has it that it might actually be spring this weekend. It might actually be warm enough for us to do that. So looking forward to getting them out of the house. And, of course, the girls want me to blow up the inflatable house uh, that they like to jump around in. They haven't done that since, what, August, September of last year? Yeah, we'll see how that goes. They, they have to do a little thing like uh, clean their room. Again, that uh, <laughs> that's a pending action on my part. If if they don't clean their room, that's fine. I, I don't mind, you know, sitting in the recliner enjoying air conditioning. You know, if it gets warm enough to do so. All right, another uh, bittersweet uh, moment for the music industry. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, just announced this week. Uh, those who are going in this time around. Happy belated birthday to one Willie Nelson. He was uh, 90 this past weekend, and now he gets to go in. Legendary country star, great songwriter too. Kate Bush gets in. She's had sort of a resurgence in her career. As well as Rage Against the Machine, fifth time's the charm for those dudes. George Michael, Missy Elliott, Sheryl Crow, and the Spinners. That's pretty eclectic right there. Uh, but, yeah, I say it's bittersweet. And I'm not going to be one of these guys that's like, it should only be rock bands. Okay, because we're well past that threshold. But it is kind of sad that there are a bunch of music acts that are very disturb, uh, not disturbing, well, some of them are, uh, that are pretty deserving of the honor, and yet they're on the outside looking in. I know the White Stripes were up for it the first time ever, um, and they'll get in eventually. Warren Zevon, not in. Uh, Bruce Dickinson and the boys from Iron Maiden still on the outside looking in. And Soundgarden. I mean, how do you keep a voice like the late, great Chris Cornell out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And it just, like I've said before, what needs to happen is you just expand the induction class. You know, you go, what is it, seven? You expand it to 10, 12? Because, I mean, you know, all the genres of music, all the contributors of music, even even with the expansion, you'd still have a backlog. But you're, you're more likely to see some smiling, deserving musicians up there jamming. Uh, getting their kudos. I mean, for Christ's sake, Willie Nelson, he's 90 now and just getting in. Uh, but, but again, that's just uh, an annual rant of my, Well, I'll, I'll say this. It is a biannual rant because maybe it's a triannual event because then, you know, there's the announcing of the class, the induction of the class, and then the announcement of the voting of the next class, which will happen later later on this year. So I, you know, I bitch about this at least three times a year. <laughs> Just expand it already. Get it over and done with. What What are you waiting for, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Uh, speaking of rock and roll, uh, Aerosmith, so long to those boys. They've got their uh, farewell tour lined up. And uh, 
I think it kicks off in September. Pretty late stuff, uh, and it goes all the way through late January. I think 40 American cities. It's going to be arena rock, it looks like. So, like here in Indiana, I mean, if, if I haven't taken a look at the um, the touring itinerary, but, I mean, it, will ne- it wouldn't be in Noblesville. It wouldn't be outdoors because after, after September... <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bitter in these here parts, but Steven Tyler and the boys hanging it up um, from Aerosmith. Rolling Stones keep going, and like you know, it's it's one of those things. Like I've said before, um, totally, totally up to the band uh, what they're feeling like. I mean, are, do they feel like touring uh, after sixty, sixty-five? Uh, do they want to hang it up and count their money? Who knows? Or do you want to be like Motley Crue and kick your guitar player out of the band and just have this public spat about backing tracks? But uh, kudos to Aerosmith for a long-deserved career and a long-deserved rest afterward. All right, so uh, day two in the books for the uh, big Hollywood writer's strike. And um, if, if you think uh, losing money on streamers and going woke wasn't bad enough, Hollywood is now contending with... Uh, no output whatsoever, which will just win over many more people. By the way, before I get too long-winded, uh, this guy on uh, the internet, Nerdrotic, kind of a right-leaning fanboy, um, but he's got a very interesting take, uh, an interesting breakdown on some stuff that uh, the the new head of the heads of the class want to do in Hollywood. They want to double down on woke, which will just uh, Make blood shoot out of your eyes, but I'll link that up on the podcast page. I don't want to get too long-winded into this because it's his takedown, his breakdown of it. But uh, I found it very interesting. Watched it this morning, but it can't. It, you know, you couple all that with this strike, uh, it can't be all good. Now, I did, I did look at um, uh, some of the demands that uh, the writers have, and one of them is to avoid AI. Yeah, um, I kind of get that. I mean, writers in Hollywood, most of them suck. But uh, using a computer to write about the human experience, also not good. Uh, More on AI here later on in another context. But uh, Hollywood uh, is shut down. No new content will be written about. Uh, The late night shows have been shut down, which is okay in my book. I saw that Fallon and uh, Seth Meyers got into trouble because of Apparently, they, they've had to kind of backtrack and um, step and go, okay, we're going to cover the expenses of our staffers for a week while the writers are on strike. But somebody came out and uh, bitched about it publicly on Twitter, saying that, uh, oh, yeah, Jimmy Fallon uh, really cares about us. He doesn't even show up to the meetings uh, concerning all of this. Yeah, kind of a bad, <laughs> bad look for late night, as if it wasn't bad enough. Uh, one of the names I didn't really mention in that list of, uh, you know, with the Colbert and Kimmels and all that, uh, James Corden, of course, he hung it up last week. Um, just to give you a context of how great his uh, uh, series finale was, and it's not uh, his departure. It's the, they've, the CBS has just outright canceled The Late Late Show. Uh, the Late Show with David Letterman in his finale, going back years, uh, was 13.7 million viewers. Which is which? That's you know, pretty respectable for uh, late night, I would think. Not too long ago, right? Uh, whereas you compare it to James Corden's send off, and he got a million and a half, <laughs> so nobody was watching it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think anybody's really uh, 
jonesing for the Jimmy Kimmel hot takes on Trump or the uh, Stephen Colbert hot takes on Trump or uh, the Jimmy Fallon t hot takes on Trump. They're basically the same show. I wonder if they share the same writer's room. They might as well. Uh, but that's going on. And kind of going back to Corden, um, you know, his ratings. I mean, he his show uh, was taking $65 million to produce, I think, annually, and it was drawing in 45 or something like that. It was it was a ridiculous number. Like, it wasn't making any money. It was losing money. And you kind of have to wonder what the expenses are like behind the scenes for other shows. But that's a to-be-continued uh, later on down the road. And before uh, Colbert went dark, I guess he had Nicolas Cage on recently, and Nicolas Cage was talking to him. And just to give you an example of how Hollywood stars are just as normal as can be, as normal as you and me, Nicolas Cage told him, Stephen Colbert, that his earliest memory ever was being in the womb. And, yeah, uh, that I don't know why, but that just unnerves me just a smidge. Uh, Nicolas Cage being conscious inside his mom and... Uh, possibly remembering his emergence from his mom uh, and wondering if he made weird Nicolas Cage sounds and faces when emerging from his mom. <laughs> that was his earliest memory of it. Oh, uh, and speaking of memories, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, uh, I guess she was being interviewed because, you know, that's, that's what happens when... Uh, you do nothing. You, you talk about other things aside from projects. She was talking about her sex life and how uh, Ben Affleck and uh, Brad Pitt compared. Because, you know, she's uh, she's been with both guys. Uh, I don't know if Chris Martin got brought up into the conversation, but uh, she said between the two of them, uh, Brad Pitt was more romantic, but Ben Affleck was better in bed. And, but I can tell you right now that both men, when done, when finished, both smelled like a candle. Uh, yeah, Ben Affleck, I mean, I'm sure he's pretty... What, what, what he has to get done, he'll get done. Uh, but he does not strike me as the romantic type. In fact, I keep thinking of that meme where he's outside smoking, rolling his eyes. It, I can only imagine Gwyneth Paltrow asking, Can you be more romantic? And him just doing that face. <laughs> This woman shares way too much. She shares way too much about shit that we really don't care about. I only brought it up because I, I was just thinking of the smart-ass uh, comments I could come up with it, and, and she gave it. She gave me what I needed, and apparently she gave Ben Affleck what what he needed. Uh, Woody Harrelson. Uh, now this is a guy who we all know is kind of nuts, kind of loony. He's, he's kind of like that crazy uncle that shows up at the barbecue. Uh, you don't know about him. You may not agree with everything he says, but sometimes he's profound, and he he, he gets drunk with you and brings a little uh, a bag of extra something that uh, you know you, you go out on a walk for and then come back for dinner with red eyes. Uh, you know, back a couple months ago, he had that monologue on Saturday Night Live where uh, basically uh, he blasted the shutdowns and the masks and all that stuff and how they were kind of pointless and how, you know, the pharmaceutical companies got us to be paranoid. Yeah, you know, that sounds like a conspiracy, right? <clears throat> mm. Well, uh, apparently he is not backing down because he doesn't give a shit what people are saying. And, you know, I, I, I saw this article. I forget what, where I saw it because 
a lot of these entertainment magazines after a while just kind of blur to me. They really do. But uh, they're talking about how there's backlash against Woody Harrelson for this. But he doesn't give a shit. And you know what? He shouldn't give a shit. Because that's his opinion. That's his hot take. And uh, he's sticking by it. And I guess he's in this new thing. Uh, I think it's on HBO called White House Plumbers. It has something to do with Watergate. One of his co-stars was like, yeah, I, I tried to talk to him about it. But he's sticking to his guns. He's gung-ho about it. Well, yeah, because he doesn't give a shit. Did you not hear the man? And you know what? More power to him. And I wish more stars would uh, kind of break away from the orthodoxy. And some have about it and when they have an unpopular p opinion stick with it i mean he's sticking with his uh, jk rowling is sticking with hers dave chappelle is sticking with his you know it, it, it makes things a lot more interesting okay that's a, it, it makes it seem like not every one of you guys out there on the left coast are in the same solidarity bu bubble head bobbing to every damn opinion and saying oh yeah that, that we totally agree with this and if you don't it's spanish equalization time enough of that all right uh speaking of bubbles cult leader ezra miller as you know he's got the the flash movie coming out and um, <laughs> um it's it's weird uh because it comes out next month and uh they're just there's rave reviews for it already like the director says that Ezra Miller is one of the best uh, best actors I've ever worked with, just terrific Ezra Miller, Ezra Miller. Um, and uh, now the production director has chimed in, uh, saying that this movie is so good you're going to forget about all the crimes that Ezra Miller did. This is not a an Onion or Babylon B headline. That's what the this designer said. You know. Uh, Chinatown's a great movie guy, but uh, it doesn't change the fact that Roman Polanski raped a 13-year-old in Jack Nicholson's hot tub after he drugged her. So there's that. Um, I just, I don't buy it. Now, take Ezra Miller out of the equation for a minute. Let me be fanboy here. The, the premise of the movie is Flash teaming up with younger Flash and Superwoman from an alternate reality possibly Michael Keaton's Batman. They take on General Zod in some time travel movie uh, that uh, basically may or may not tie into James Gunn's new DCU version of the new cinematic DC universe, right? Uh, if it does, fine, whatever. But if it doesn't, and this is a futile exercise. Now, the fact that he's taking on a Superman villain and not somebody from his own rogues gallery is a red, red flag to me. It's, uh, it's like, okay, we're not going to have him take on Gorilla Grodd or uh, Re Reverse Flash or Captain Cold. No, 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 no. We're going to have him take on Superman's villain. Okay, that's a, that's a problem, first of all. And secondly, uh, if you take away the crimes that Ezra Miller has committed and all that shit, uh, yet he's not Barry Allen. He's not Wally. What? He's not anybody that's ever dressed up as the Flash. That's the problem. Uh, even in the Justice League movies, when um, I watched, or the Justice League movie, uh, when I watched that, I was like, "This is not, this is not the Flash. This is not Barry Allen at all." Now you factor in that Ezra Miller has gotten into fights in karaoke bars, uh, held a woman and her kids hostage, did all sorts of crazy, stupid stuff, and uh, dresses like it's the Met Gala every goddamn day. It's a turnoff. 
and people are not going to forget that sort of thing uh he's just not tentpole material and then of course he's not a decent human being and i don't care if i'm misgendering somebody that held a woman and her kids hostage uh, this person's a piece of shit and the fact that warner brothers discovery is trying to spin this movie as the greatest superhero movie ever uh, i mean i don't even think kevin feige would have done that with ant-man and paul rudd seems like a decent dude <laughs> you know it just it, there seems to be a lot a lot of uh, contortion when it comes to this movie and i'm going to say it i don't Maybe it wins its box office, but I think it will severely underperform because people know about Ezra Miller's bad behavior. And I don't think Michael Keaton is Batman uh, making an appearance in this movie, which will probably be a very short cameo. Maybe like two or three scenes. I don't think it's going to be an extended, uh, an extended stay in that film. I just, I just don't think it's going to carry it. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, Bud Light's collapse continues. In fact, they're, discover, uh, they're calling it historic. Uh, sales have plummeted 26% this past week since, uh, I guess, since the uh, Dylan Mulvaney controversy. And, of course, there's still the people online talk, you know, calling you a bigot if you don't buy Bud Light. <laughs> But where, where are all the uh, uh, the progressives just jumping on the Anheuser-Busch bandwagon and making up for all that lost revenue, I ask you? And again, it goes back to the fact that they were not catering to an audience they knew very little about. They just didn't give a shit. They didn't care. And so now they're reaping the, uh, the benefit, uh, the whirlwind of their uh, just great judgment on this. But they're saying historic. Like there has not been... Uh, this this drastic of a change in beer sales for uh, for a beer company ever in United States history. Keep in mind that they're now owned by the Belgians, but whatever. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you, you pay attention to your customer base. It's all about that customer base. Do not patronize them. Don't call them idiots. By the way, if you call um, if you call your customer base idiots, chances are they don't come back. And it, chances are, if you keep talking about, well, you know, Coors and Miller Lite, you know, they've done stuff with gay pride, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're out there making them feel stupid and trying to guilt them into buying your product because you're making them feel stupid, you're the idiot. You're kissing money goodbye. Uh, but I did see um, that Budweiser is trying to make right with their employees on this whole thing. And they're, I think, uh, giving their employees free beer and some of their distributors uh, free beer. Uh, kind of a we're sorry, our mistake, our bad type of thing. Okay, that's all well and good, but uh, you know what you need to do, Anheuser-Busch? Um, you need to ensure that uh, none of your employees lose their jobs because of your brain trust's idea of this really disastrous viral campaign. Because uh, there was another viral video just after the, the Dylan Mulvaney one dropped on Twitter or whatever. And it was a Budweiser distributor, uh, a merchandiser, inside of a department store, inside a grocery store. Talking about how he had a hard time trying to get Budweiser products onto the shelves because the previous, uh, the previous Bud that they put there hadn't moved. Like, 
he couldn't get it on the shelves. They were not selling it. And he's got a family to feed and all this. And he seemed like a decent dude. But again, a company's disastrous decision is costing him money and anybody else that works for that company. I mean, you have to kind of keep that in mind, right? Right? That, uh, it's a hard lesson to learn. Also a very hard lesson to learn. Um, you know, I've been talking a little bit during uh, the last few weeks about uh, societal collapse. Uh, most definitely, uh, mo mostly in cities. Mostly in cities where it's been real bad. And I've made mention about how uh, uh, earlier last month, Whole Foods in San Francisco, their downtown location, had to close. And I guess the New York Times... Um, had an interesting write-up about it. They were talking about how uh, uh, there were some um, problems in this part of town. Uh, you know, there was all sorts of weird things going on with this uh, Whole Foods. Uh, but during the time that they were open, the 13 months, people were threatening employees with guns, knives, and sticks. They flung food at people. They screamed at people. They fought with people. They tried to crap on the floor. And within the 13 months of being open, 568 emergency calls were made for this one store alone in downtown San Francisco. 568. 13 months. That's well over a, uh, one call a day. It's damn near two calls a day. Uh, one, uh, one report of a 911 call talks about how a guy with a machete came back to the store. A security guard was assaulted. Uh, a man with a four-inch knife attacked several security guards, then sprayed store employees with foam from a fire extinguisher, according to another one. Uh, in September of last year, in the same Whole Foods, 30-year-old man dies in the bathroom from an overdose of fentanyl. Uh, of course, which is a very highly potent um, opioid. And, of course, he had methamphetamine on him as well. So all this stuff was going on inside this one store over the course of 13 months. They couldn't keep it under control. Um, and it makes you wonder what they would do in terms of loss prevention. I'm sure they had a lot of um, theft as well, a lot of uh, shoplifting. But what what could they do? I mean, a city as uh, progressive as San Francisco. I mean, what could they do? How could they keep these uh, these people out of their stores? Because again, there's a sympathetic view to those who do this sort of thing, and if you do anything to hinder them from doing this sort of thing, you are just you're, you're Hitler essentially. So, I mean, this is, this is the problem that a lot of businesses are having trying to conduct business in downtown of a lot of cities nowadays. And it is smarter to stay out of downtowns now than it is to conduct business there uh, because you're less likely to be hassled. I mean, it's even gotten to the point, like in a place, uh, you know, months ago we talked about how, uh, you know, in Chicago... There were homeless people camping out at O'Hare International Airport. That would be the first thing you would see coming off an airplane, coming from another city, right there in front of you. Scary stuff. Very scary stuff. And uh, this is just a microcosm of what's going on around the United States. And I'm sure we're going to hear about more store closures and more, you know, especially in places like San Francisco or Chicago or Portland, Oregon. 
and, and there's a lesson to be learned here, but a lot of the people that need to learn this lesson just will not learn it. All right, another lesson that needs to be learned is not necessarily just with this, if we survive this, because this is scary. Um, and I don't mean to sound alarmist, but uh, scientists, they just have this habit of ignoring science fiction, maybe because it's fiction, maybe because they know better. They uh, co probably consciously avoid watching Jeff Goldblum f films like you know Jurassic Park, The Fly, Independence Day, anywhere where the scientist, a decently-minded scientist, looks at something like, you know what, maybe we should step back and... Uh, not do this but you know scientists they'll go ahead and do it anyway oh you're cloning dinosaurs yeah that looks dangerous hey by the way let's go ahead and try to clone humans uh let's try to clone this animal let's try to bring this back from extinction no thank you um but uh, artificial intelligence is now a thing and, and it's exploded in the last few years and now you got people just kind of playing around with it on the internet you know uh, making jokes uh like with images and uh, with the way people sound. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, you also have people using it for scams. Like they can mimic your voice, they can mimic the way you look, uh, and they can try to get money off of you, you know, low-rent scammers. Well, the guy that uh, helped pioneer this with uh, Google, uh, he stepped down from Google not too long ago, 75-year-old uh, Jeffrey Hinton. He is now warning against it and he's talking about all the dangers that are implied with uh, artificial intelligence of course uh you know it, there's a chance it could take over the job market it could um you know make what is real unreal and unreal real so if you think you, there's a problem with fake news now uh fact checkers you just wait right um you know talking about how it could be even smarter than human beings people I mean, you know, we used to think, okay, computers have kind of a limited intellect because there's only so much space in the hard drive and you have to be programmed. Well, you know, he's saying now it's getting to the part, point where artificial intelligence can learn to program itself. And it could be the end of humanity is what he's basically saying. And, you know, this guy worked on it, worked on this stuff. And he was talking about the bad actors involved with uh, the making of this. But, uh... He says at the end of the interview, I consoled myself with the normal excuse, if I hadn't done it, somebody else would have, which is basically modern science in a nutshell. Yeah, we screwed around with something we probably shouldn't have, but hey, you know, we're going to die anyway, right? Um, you know, Oppenheimer, the movie that um, Christopher Nolan's got coming out about Robert Oppenheimer, obviously the father of the nuclear bomb, he kind of had that same feel feeling when he was uh, working on this project uh, uh, the Germans would have done this and then after we came up with it the Russians came up with it and nuclear war was always uh, something that was always on the periphery always on the brink always had people nervous for decades and decades and decades and you can argue argue today that it really hasn't gone away just different actors different um, players in that sort of thing but now with artificial intelligence, I mean, Jesus, you can do anything, anything. And, you know, you manipulate things to your own ends. But the thing is, what he's getting at is, doesn't matter if you do it, artificial intelligence will one day do it on its own and look at us like the insects. And it's like, pfft, game over. But the scientists just have that kind of mentality of just... Um, 
Yeah, we know opening Pandora's box is bad, but we're going to do it anyway because we're smarter than you. And damn the consequences. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, on that cheery note, I think I want to wrap it up with this story. Uh, this was out of um, Dildo, Newfoundland. Uh, up in Canada. Yeah, there's a town up there called Dildo. And um, there's a... Th I think this is real, but if it's not, if it's Photoshopped, if it's created by AI, I don't care. It's it's real in my heart, damn it. Uh, there was an iceberg that broke away last week uh, with a unique base and a uh, unique structure on top of the base. It looked like uh, Richard and his two best friends. Basically a giant ice penis uh, floating there in the ocean. Um, for everyone to see, it's gone viral, but if you go out looking for it now, you know, if you're uh, charting a private plane to Dildo Newfoundland, <laughs> Or you know, ch uh, charting a boat to dildo. Uh, the, I guess the uh, the sh the shaft is shattered and broken. It's not coming back. It's not coming back. All right. Well, that all said and done, I'm done. Till next time, stay fresh, cheese. You've been listening to Mike Davidson live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at facebook.com backslash mdavidsonlives. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Lives.